calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Rogues of the Black Fury, Episode 13. Rogues of the Black Fury, a novel, written and produced by Travis Heerman. This novel contains violence, adult language, and mature situations. Listener discretion is advised. For more information, please visit travisheerman.com rogues. Chapter 19 The smell of fish, tar, soggy netting, and the ageless sea swirled into a morning stench that saturated the harbor. Javin reined up saltstone at the edge of the pier leading out to the strange ship. The thick-muscled Kalad grunted and honked and tossed his head at being so close to the edge of the water. A knot of at least a score Woolstone troops stood in a dense block, preventing any passage onto or off the pier. The strange ship was moored at the end of the pier. Sergeant Morris separated himself from the soldiers and approached Javin. "'Good morning, Lord Captain.' "'Good morning, Sergeant. What ship is this?' Javin answered, smoothing his uniform jacket with a quick tug after his swift ride through the city. Today he looked like a proper soldier again. The morning sun warmed his back as he looked toward the dark-hulled caravel with its strangely ribbed sails. "'This is the Zarabim, sir. Arrived this morning.' What is a farthy ship doing here? The Lord Major General is having a word with the captain even now, sir. They're in that warehouse across the way, sir. Sergeant Morris pointed toward a dilapidated wooden warehouse amidst a long row of a dozen more. Sailors and dock workers gathered to crane their necks at the first farthy ship to appear in Norgard Harbor in living memory. Fartha was not known for its maritime fleet or shipbuilding advancements. Most of their ships were little more than shallow-drafted longboats and single-masted galleys, coast-huggers and river-runners, not seagoing vessels. The Farthy did not like the sea, thus they always attacked by overland, marching across the Red Waste or skipping across Inanan's belly in their brand of boats. This ship, with its double-masted, square-rigged sails, looked like a significant modification to the pictures Javin had seen of Farthy ships. He doubted that any man hereabout had ever seen a real farthy vessel of any kind. "'When did she arrive?' Javin asked. "'About the fourth bell, sir. Caused quite a stir around here, I'll wager, when she came up to the pier. Where's the harbormaster?' "'I am the harbormaster, my lord,' 
a voice piped up from behind him, and Javin turned to look down upon a man smartly tailored in a brown waistcoat, ivory-colored trousers and clean white shirt, neat but not dandyish. My name is Callum Broadplank. His face wore the weathering of a man who had lived his life within eyeshot of the sea, and he walked with the bandy-legged gait of a retired sailor. His gray hair was tied into a short, tight ponytail, after the fashion of Jarlsman, and he spoke with a familiar Jarl's accent. His features were broad and blunt, much like those of another Jarlsman Javin had met. Javin leaned down to shake his hand and found it hard and calloused. Callum Broadplank continued, I have already spoken to the Lord Major General, but I would be happy to serve you as well, Lord. Tell me about the arrival. Did anyone leave the ship? Broadplank's eyes narrowed as he looked out toward the ship. A few swarthy crewmen stood visible on the caravel's gunwales, unmoving, watching the onlookers with the same trepidation. None that anyone saw, except the captain, my lord, spoke to him myself. He said that his ship, Zerabim, is a merchant vessel out of Alzab. Is she armed? She does not appear to ship any cannons, my lord. What does he claim his cargo to be? Fine silks and linens, preserved fruits and spices. If I may, my lord, that captain must have balls like melons to bring a farthy ship into this port. Javin gripped his reins against the saddle. Perhaps if that captain was telling the truth. Why, now? Part of some larger plot already in motion? Mere coincidence would be hard to swallow in light of recent events. What of the ships make, Master Broadplank? Broadplank turned an eye of keen appraisal toward the vessel and clasped his hands behind his back. Well, my lord, I have never seen quite its like. It's a kind of caravel, to be sure, but the sails like that I've only seen in old books. They look made of reeds and linen, strong but slow as hell. If they came around the horn from Alzab in that, they must have been three months at sea. It looks like a river ship with such a shallow draft. Any kind of storm would turn that thing over like a cork. Allow me to consult your experience, Master Broadplank. If the ability of the Farthy to build ships is so far behind ours, how do they trade with the free cities? They rely upon the free captains to ship their stuffs, my lord. From what I understand, the far they make their own passing fine river ships, but the free captains take their goods over the sea. So tell me, Master Broadplank, if the far they have never made their own seagoing vessels, what do you make of this ship? Perhaps they tire of relying upon the free captains. Perhaps the free captains are no longer welcome in farthy ports. A free captain will chase a gold piece for a week, but perhaps they no longer want to deal with the priest kings. This ship looks to me like a farthy shipwright took the designs of a river ship and a Duthan caravel and mated them as best he could. He intertwined his fingers and made a double fist. And now we have the bastard offspring, my lord. I'm sure the Lord Major General will advise you on how we're to handle this vessel and its crew. Very well, my lord. Sergeant Morris, see that no one boards or leaves Zerabim. Aye, Lord Captain, Sergeant Morris said. And if she moves, those Mocklins will blast her into kindling. He thumbed over his shoulder toward the two grim frigates that lay a few hundred paces off, with their broadsides brought to bear. The red and gray colors of House Macklin fluttered from stern rigging. Javin thanked them again. It was time to hear what the captain had to say, and to ask Lord Terrell why he had not informed Javin of this vessel's arrival. He had heard about it from two blue dragons gossiping outside his father's chambers.
far the captain sat on a simple wooden stool in a dim corner of the warehouse, his scruffy-bearded face drawn and sweaty. He wrung his hands before him and glanced up only briefly at Javin's approach. With pistols in hand, Lord Terrell and four guards surrounded the farthy captain. The captain's voice was quavering, thick with farthy accent, and he spoke as if he had already related his tale numerous times. Come sell silks! Make money! No spies! No spies! No spies. Ship leave Al-Zab two months before. Terrell turned to see Javin approaching and nodded in perfunctory greeting, but Javin noted well the fresh tightness in Terrell's jaw and the frown on his brow. Lord Major General, Javin said, saluting. His cousin returned the gesture, but looked over-wearied with such courtesy. My apologies for interrupting, but may I have a word in private, my lord? Terrell nodded curtly, and followed Javin away behind a stack of barrels. Javin was stiff and formal. I would request, Lord Major General, to know what this man has told you. How is your father this morning, Javin? Javin blinked once, and his eyes narrowed at his cousin's cordial tone that belied the look in his eyes and the set of his narrow jaw. He still lives, cousin. That is good news indeed. Cusco would best not lose its illustrious leader from such a treacherous and ill-gotten wound. What of the farthy captain? Who is he? Why is he here? Terrell looked down his nose at Javin, and his tone was terse and clipped. He claims to be a simple merchant captain. As nearly as I can discern from his broken speech, he is consistent with his own tale. He says he has a cargo of fine cloth, some exotic fruits, and valuable spices. He claims to have a crew of twenty-five, and they departed Al-Zab two months ago. Do you believe him? My dear boy, I believe no one. But I will get to the truth, if we have to take that ship apart, nail by nail, and clap the entire crew in irons. If the Farthy intended to drive us back to war, why would there be a Farthy merchant vessel here now? Perhaps this man is not privy to the priest-king's plans, Terrell said wryly. Or perhaps he is. Something has been bothering me. Let us entertain the notion that the Farthy do not want to reignite the war. Very well, we shall entertain the notion. Someone has set us spinning in circles like a jackal chasing its tail. But what if it is not the Farthy? Perhaps Bella has been kidnapped by someone else. The four women were murdered as well in that strange manner by the same men who tried to kill father. The Farthy ambassador has been murdered, but made to look as if he fled the capital. And now we have a man claiming to be a merchant captain in a never-before-seen type of Farthy ship. What if he's telling the truth? What if the Farthy want to open trade with us? An interesting theory, Javin. Let us ask him. Javin nodded and followed Terrell back toward the prisoner. Javin caught the sound of movement from behind him, like a scuffling foot or a cloth rubbing on a barrel. His glance back revealed no one. Terrell's deep stentorian voice boomed as he towered over the farthy captain. Why are you here? To sell. To make money. Why here? I hear from Duthan big money for pepper and cinnamon in Norgard. Much more than Duthan's pay. I have barrels. But why now? Fartha and Cuska have been at war for generations. No more war. No fighting now. Fartha people no want more war. Why? Terrell only barely kept the snarl out of his voice. Your people started the last war. Are you saying they're tired of it? The farthy captain gulped and nodded. Yes, tired of war. All men dead. Many women with no sons, no husbands. Want peace now. Want gold. You want infidel gold? 
The farthy captain smiled wanly, a smile missing half its teeth. Gold no care gods and prophets, silver too. The man sat a little straighter and drew a deep breath. He laid a hand over his heart. I am first. I have brave. I study Cuska talk. You see my silks good. You see my spices good. I, you see I good. I make money. I carry Cuska back to Fartha. My people see Cuska is good. No more war. And they follow me because I was first. I make money. Javin and Terrell exchanged glances. Now it was Terrell's turn to lead Javin away back toward the entrance. Helion helped me, Terrell said, but he is convincing. He is, Javin said. He seems to be telling the truth. What if... A sudden thought landed upon him like a boulder. What if there are Farthy who want to drag us back into war? But what if they are not the priest kings? What if someone else in Fartha is pulling these strings? Terrell rubbed his chin. His flinty gaze flicked back and forth as assumptions and calculations tumbled back and forth in his mind. I had considered that, but discounted it as rubbish. Now, however, it is possible, but this is all still a riddle, and Commander Rusk needs to know about this. A wagon was trundling by outside, and a commotion swept up as Saltstone snapped and kicked at the passing box with one of his massive hind legs. The box honked and leaped against their harnesses, almost overturning the wagon. The wagoner howled and cursed at them as he tried to regain control. Terrell ignored the commotion outside. His face hardened. What do you mean, Rusk needs to know? That ruffian is not involved in this. Of course he is. You must know they have gone after Bella. Terrell's fists clenched at his side and his lips drew as tight as a hammer spring. Curse that infernal madman! He's a fool and a traitor. I ordered him to stand down. Javin kept his face carefully neutral, even though he did enjoy Terrell's fit of discomfiture. What else do you know about this? Terrell snapped. Javin spoke slowly, evenly. I know only that they departed yesterday. They must be ordered to return. If Rusk did not obey your order to stand down, do you think he will obey your order to return? Excellent point. Damn it all, that madman must be apprehended and hanged for insubordination. When did you issue the order? Yesterday. When my father was missing. Yes. Then it seems that he is following the Grand General's orders, not yours. Javin suppressed a smirk as he watched Terrell spiral into a scarlet-faced fit of apoplexy. That same quiet scuffle came again, just behind a tall stack of crates a few paces away. Javin spun and charged around the corner to be rewarded with a scrabble of retreating footsteps. A spy! He rounded another corner and slammed into a heavy body. An elbow smashed into his face and he sprawled backward. The spy hurtled over him and dashed for a side door. Before the Wollstone guards could act, the spy had flung open the side door and lunged outside. Javin caught only a fleeting glimpse of the man's retreating back before he disappeared through the opening. Soiled linen shirt and patched gray trousers, like a dock laborer like all the dock laborers. Javin scrambled to his feet and threw himself toward the door, dashing out into the narrow alley between warehouses. But the man had vanished. Javin cursed and smashed the wall with the heel of his fist, but even the pain from that gesture could not dispel the sick dread in his gut.
Chapter 20 The baker rolled out a ball of pastry dough onto a thin sheet. To any onlooker or passer-by, it was a day like any other in the baker's long career here. He had plied his trade in this shop for almost a decade. He had sold his bread and pastries to the infidels, and not a day had gone by that he did not wish to poison every single one of them. But he disguised his hatred behind a congenial smile and a facade of sweets. He had not slept in three days, not since three of his comrades had failed to return from their mission. The blood tower was locked down. Tarnak Castle was locked down. He could no longer get inside to peddle his pastries. Something had gone awry with their plans. His missing brothers were all three deadly men. He would not mourn them if they were dead, because they would have traveled to prostrate themselves before the gates of paradise, where they would be ushered into ever-flowing rivers of milk and honey and the pleasurable attentions of beautiful angels, and they would dwell in the house of the heavens forever. However, if they had failed in their mission, all their long-cultivated efforts might be compromised. The baker also worried about the disappearance of Ambassador Zamhal's head and arms from the rubbish barrel behind his shop. He had ground and stuffed most of the ambassador's corpse into meat pies and sausages, which he had since sold to his infidel patrons. But those three parts had disappeared, and if they were discovered and identified, all of their plans were in jeopardy. He could only hope that they had been stolen and devoured by some feral jackals that roamed the midnight streets of the city. But the gods were kind, and Sadim was merciful. The gods would not allow infidels to interfere with the plans of their chosen ones. Of that, there could be no doubt. A figure stood in the doorway of his shop, one that had never before darkened his doorway here. Nevertheless, he smiled and greeted his patron loudly enough for all outside to hear. The dock worker shuffled inside. His shirt and hair were soaked with sweat and his eyes glowed with a haunted look. Anyone listening would have heard a normal conversation between a baker and a patron, but the secret language being exchanged just below the surface was far less mundane. What are you doing here? You were never to come here. Things have changed. The dock worker eyed the links of smoked sausages hanging from the hooks beside the counter. How? First, what news of the others? The baker pounded his ball of dough harder than needed. Still missing. No contact since they entered the blood tower. The dock worker said, Then I fear they are all dead. The Grand General is apparently badly wounded. I know not how but it is possible that he was present at the blood tower. I heard no rumors, save that the blood tower is sealed tight. No one gets in or out, the same for Tarnak Castle. If the Grand General was there, he could not have survived their attack, unless all of them were killed. The baker nodded. His brothers would have fought and killed to their last breath. Anything of the four slave whores? Nothing of them. Those women might have heard the old tales. Simple tales we must remain until the time is chosen by the master. And there is something else. A merchant ship from Al-Zab arrived in port this morning. The baker's eyes bulged in spite of himself. A farthy ship? Yes, Terrell Wollstone is questioning the captain even now. The ship has been impounded until they are satisfied that the captain's story is genuine. What is his story? He's a simple merchant captain. The ship bears no secret symbols or marks, and the captain's speech bore none of the secret language. He is not one of us. He claims to offer trade with the infidels. The baker snorted in disgust, in spite of the need for secrecy. His own countrymen were weak, spineless curs, worthy of only death and hathod. 
the idea of trading with the infidels should have made any rightly taught farthy man's skin crawl. The infidel's filthy wares had no place in a farthy marketplace. Let us see to it that he meets with an unfortunate end. The dock worker nodded. Agreed. And there is something else, as well. Terrell and Javin Wollstone spoke about someone going after the Wollstone child. I could not hear the name, but they described him as a madman, and Terrell Wollstone was none too pleased about it. An army? A single man? House Wollstone troops? I believe there is more than one, but I know not for certain. The situation is getting away from us. We must act now. I will make another attempt to enter Tarnak Castle. The fact that Janice Wollstone is wounded is an unexpected gift. If I can, I will hasten the Grand General's descent into hell. We must know what they know. Then we can decide a course of action. The baker wrapped up a basket of bread and pastries and made a fine show of accepting the dock worker's money. May Sadim protect us. May the moon goddess give us strength. Thank you for listening to Rogues of the Black Fury by Travis Hearman. If you enjoy the story, don't be shy. Let me know. I would love to hear from you. And don't forget to go to this podcast's homepage and click the donate button. Give whatever you like, but is $4.99 really too much to ask for this many hours of entertainment? Rogues of the Black Fury is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. I encourage you to copy it and give it away to all your roguish friends. Just don't change it or sell it, or the Black Furies will soon be coming after you.